Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. The Canadian Civil Liberties Association slamming the use of the Emergencies Act to deal with blockades and protests here in Canada. Global News anchor Alan Carter joins us to discuss the loosening of COVID-19 restrictions in Ontario. Hamilton's population has grown and most of it has been downtown. Learn about a nonprofit organization that helps new and expecting parents. We speak with a cancer survivor on this International Childhood Cancer Day and Hamilton's winter Fest is making a comeback this week. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. I want to be very clear. The scope of these measures will be time-limited, geographically targeted, as well as reasonable and proportionate to the threats they are meant to address. That is Prime Minister Justin Trudeau yesterday afternoon invoking the Emergencies Act to deal with the blockades and protests that have popped up across the country, most notably in Ottawa. However, the Canadian Civil Liberties Association says doesn't think this is the right move. Noah Mendelson of Eve is the Executive Director of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Good morning, Noah. Good morning. Uh, your stance on the implementation of the Emergencies Act. Yeah, the, the Emergencies Act has never been invoked before because it has an extremely high threshold. And that's, and that's for a good reason. It's supposed to be used for threats to the national security of Canada or, or for droughts or floods or other such serious uh, national emergency um, situations that require it. And as as you know, as, as much as the uh, protests in Ottawa have been disruptive and concerning, and there has uh, been some uh, unlawful activity that's been reported there, it certainly does not arise um, on anything that the government has discussed or reported on or stated to the level of an emergency that justifies invoking an Emergencies Act. And that's important because Emergencies Act are not meant for normal or even difficult situations. Governments have laws to deal with difficult situations, and they cannot, they cannot use Emergencies Acts uh, lightly, and the public should not get used to the idea of Emergencies Acts being used lightly. So as you mentioned, and as we know, this is the first time the federal government has enacted this act. Uh, do you feel that it is or, or, uh, unwarranted or maybe even an, an overreach of government? Uh, well, I, I do, and the Canadian Civil Liberties Association has concerns about it, and not 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 because we're setting a high standard, but because the act itself sets an extremely high standard. The definition of national emergency in the act is about threats, serious threats, serious dangers to the lives, health, or safety of Canadians that a province cannot handle, or serious threats of the ability of Canada to preserve the sovereignty, security, and territorial integrity of Canada that cannot effectively be dealt with under any other law of Canada. And yet we have, you know, laws on policing, we have laws on using um, the, the military. What What is happening here is using an Emergencies Act to ask financial institutions to freeze and report on people's bank accounts without a court order using an act that is creating these powers for financial institutions without the democratic process. So no democratic process, no court order. That's the kind of undemocratic move that the Emergencies Act permits. So you can understand that in a situation of extreme urgency and, ex and an extremely critical situation, 
that that might, in those extreme circumstances, be necessary. But they have not stated here, as they are required to, how that is necessary in the situation. And in fact, when you listen to the Deputy Prime Minister speak, she talks about preserving the Canadian economy. The Canadian economy, if in fact that has been harmed to, this, to, this, to the extent of a, of a national emergency, the Canadian economy is not listed as a public order emergency under the Act. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Noah Mendelson of Eve, Executive Director of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association. We're chatting about the uh, uh, invocation of the Emergencies Act yesterday by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Um, one of the criteria under the Act or within the Act is, a, quote, foreign-influenced activities within or relating to Canada that are detrimental to the interests of Canada and are clandestine or deceptive or involve a threat to any person. We, we've learned that uh, much of this protest, or at least much of the funding that has fueled this protest, has come from outside of Canada, uh, from some groups that may, uh, you know, be uh, described as white supremacist or alt-right groups. Um, is when when you look at the act, does this kind of fit the bill? You know, you could argue that that's a matter of interpretation, mm-hmm. but I think when they talk about foreign activities, they're they're talking about. Uh, you know, things like espionage and sabotage, those that's also one of the criteria that's listed in the Act. And again, you have to look back as well at the definition of national emergency that is also in the Act. So you're talking about a serious threat to the lives, health, or safety of Canadians. The Canadian economy is not listed. Or it seriously threatens the ability of the government of Canada to preserve the sovereignty, security, and territorial integrity of Canada and that cannot effectively be dealt with under any other law of Canada. That's the framework within which we need to understand what the purpose of the Emergencies Act is. And and we can't forget the context that we're living in. The context is a pandemic that saw emergency orders being pulled out because there was something happening across Canada, something happening across the globe that was unprecedented two years ago. We used that word a lot, unprecedented. And, and we had a lot of information that we did not know yet about the pandemic, and emergencies orders got rolled out like like tic tacs. They were they were everywhere, and and because that happened, and and it's question as to whether it was justifiable then, does not mean that we should be rolling out emergency orders every time a very difficult and challenging situation arises. We have laws, we have a democratic process, we have them for a reason. That's what needs to get used. We have seen uh, several instances, uh, some some of them caught on video, other anecdotal of uh, police uh, not enforcing the law or at least arresting individuals after the uh, previous emergency orders came down, at least one from the uh, provincial government. Um, people are, in some cases, losing faith in the state, They're losing faith in government, in police. Um, so what should be done? Well, I mean, I, I, think, I think there are any number of things that, that can be done, but you know whether or not whether or not um, you know whether or not the police are enforcing the law is a completely separate question from whether the federal government comes down with this massive-sized act that essentially bypasses the democratic process. And those, those are two completely different situations. I understand that there are unlawful activities happening in Ottawa. I understand that it's very difficult right now. For people who are living in Ottawa, I have an enormous amount of empathy. I, I, have, I have friends in Ottawa. That doesn't change the fact that the law that the government has invoked today is of the kind that we that is not normal, and we cannot get used to it because it suspends 
the democratic process. It allows for measures to be taken without without court orders. We should be concerned about that. This is this is not how an ordinary government should be acting, even in the face of a difficult situation. I will remind you, the police services uh, are dealing with difficult confrontations, difficult situations all the time. They deal with organized crime. They they deal with um, you know they they deal with gangs. They there are there are so many issues that arise in a country like Canada, and we have laws in place for that. This is this this Emergencies Act is being used in ways here now that the government has not justified. Its statement about you know protecting the Canadian economy is is is. is in my view, completely out of line with what the act is supposed to be doing. And the measures that they are taking are, are, are very questionable as to whether, in fact, they are even permitted under the act. I mean, the act is talking about prohibiting assemblies, and the government is talking about suspending bank accounts. And there's, and there's a real question as to how the government is interpreting the act to think that it has these additional enormous powers to deal with protest that involves unlawful activity. No, I appreciate your time on this uh, topic and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you very much. Noah Mendelson of Eve is the executive director of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, offering her thoughts on the Emergencies Act that was invoked by the Prime Minister yesterday afternoon to deal with the blockades and protests related to COVID-19 restrictions. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. And let me be very clear. We're moving in this direction because it's safe to do so. Today's announcement is not because of what's happening in Ottawa or Windsor, but despite it. That is Premier Doug Ford saying the province is going to end its COVID-19 vaccine passport system starting March 1st. And other restrictions will begin to ease on Thursday. However, the mask mandate will remain in place. This is Good Morning Hamilton. You're listening to 900 CHML. My name's Rick Samprin. Thanks for hopping on board once again and making uh, us part of your morning on this uh, busy Tuesday morning. Pleased to be joined by Alan Carter. He's an anchor with Global News at 530 and 6, host of Focus Ontario and host of the the Alan Carter radio program, which you can hear right here on 900 CHML weekdays from noon to one. Alan, good morning. Well, good morning, Rick. Great to have you on. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Is there anything you don't do? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I just I, I, I love the news. I can't I can't help myself. It is addictive, that's for sure. Now, this announcement truly feels like the start of something good, and we really need something good in our lives. Is is this the beginning? To get the sense, this is the beginning of living with COVID. Yeah, you know, I I hope so. I just I, I, I maybe maybe I just feel like you know. Uh, the groom that has been left at the altar too many times over the last two years. So I mean, I, I like to believe that, that this is exactly what it appears to be, which is you know a real turning point in this pandemic where we we are now moving to an endemic phase. Although we're not there yet, but we're moving right towards it. And we have the vax passports gone by March. We have you know capacity limits gone by March. Still have masks um, for you know the. For the for future, we don't know how long, but it does feel it does feel like this is really a turning point in the progress of getting to live with COVID. 
From a political standpoint, we know the politics have played a big part in this, uh, you know, two-year existence with with COVID-19. Premier Doug Ford, and we heard it in the audio clip, saying that his government is ending most of these restrictions despite the truckers' blockades, not because of them. Are you buying what Mr. Ford is selling? Uh, yeah, I, I I am, and I think it's backed up by, by science. I mean, you, Peter Yudi says, you know, it, it doesn't make sense to have the passport much anymore with the transmissibility and the number of people who've already had it. Dr. Kieran Moore is saying, you know, this supports it. Do, do I think that politics is at play here? Yeah, I, I do. I, I, I think that all through the pandemic, there has been a political undercurrent. There's been this this tension between politics and public health. And politics is at play here. I, I, I hate the fact that, you know, those that are perhaps blocking the bridge or occupying Ottawa say, well, see, we got this done. Yeah, I like to say this. I like to say this is akin to me saying, you know, uh, I hate snow uh, and I'm going to boycott eating vegetables from now on because uh, I hate the snow and I won't eat vegetables if the snow goes away. Well, of course, you know, <laughs> we're heading into spring. The snow's going to melt and I'm going to claim victory. It's kind of that sort of thing. Alan Carter is our guest here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Alan is an anchor at Global News at 530 and 6, host of Focus Ontario and the host of the Alan Carter radio program, which you can hear here on 900 CHML weekdays from noon to 1. Uh, ditching Vaxports. Uh, some will question whether this is the right move at the right time, but I think most people are going to be glad to know that they can step into a restaurant and not have to fiddle with their phone to get their QR code all up and at them. Yeah, I went to see a movie on Sunday, and, you know, the whole thing was, you know, you had to line up and show your phone, and here's my ID, and all the rest of it. It's such a hassle. And so I think we'll all be happy to see the uh, see it in the rearview mirror. And you look at the numbers. I mean, th- this is the other thing. This is you look at the percentage of people who have double vax. It's incredibly high. You know, and you, you know, there's the NDP that says, well, we should we should make the third shot part of the Vax passport. Well, Dr. Peter Uni, you know, quite rightly points out, well, there's been so many people that have had COVID, and you're not supposed to get a booster till three months after you've had it. So you can't, you couldn't even get it. So it doesn't seem to make much sense to make it three shots. I, I you know, I, I hope this is the right thing. You know, I, I, COVID has taught us over the last two years to expect the unexpected. At this point, it, it seems like, yes, we're turning a corner. Let's just hope that there's not some scary variant lurking around the corner. Yeah, fingers crossed on that one. Uh, we're going to see capacity limits in all indoor public settings uh, eliminated as of Thursday. Places like restaurants, movie theaters. It, it will also ultimately, uh, you know, a few weeks down the line, mean a full house for Maple Leafs, uh, the Raptors, Hamilton Bulldogs here in the city, etc., this is going to be, I think, a big morale boost across the country to see full arenas, full restaurants, full movie theaters. It's going to feel good. Yeah, you know what I'm looking forward to as well is let's get the uh, Fed with the announcement on the border. They promised that's coming this week, so let's hope that that happens as well. We get rid of the the madness of having to you know to have a PCR test before you get on a flight to come to Canada, and then another one when you land. I mean, it just Hopefully that goes away as well. I mean, uh, I don't know about you, but you know, talking about the snow, I'd, I'd like I'd like to consider being able to go somewhere warm.
Yeah, that'd be nice. And not have to worry about coming back and, you know, taking a test or supplying a test result or whatever the case is. Or, um, or saying to your boss, I can't come into work because I need to isolate till I get this test result back. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, thousands, if not uh, many more, have, uh, you know, been forced to do that. Uh, now that the Vaxports are coming to an end in Ontario, do you get the sense that the federal government might follow suit with some of its vaccine mandates for federally regulated workers? That I don't know, because they haven't really signaled that that is coming. But with it being lifted, you know, right across the board in so many provinces, you've got to think that the federal government is going to follow suit. They haven't signaled that that's coming, but I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see that in the next week or two. Yeah, we shall see. Alan, really appreciate the time today. Um, awesome job with uh, the radio program and all the other duties that you do uh, with Global News. Thanks for joining awesome. us. Thanks very much. Appreciate being on. Have a great day. You too. That's Ellen Carter, anchor Global News 530 and 6, host of Focus Ontario. Great program on Global TV. And he's also the host of the Alan Carter radio program, which you can hear right here on 900 CHML weekdays from noon until 1. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Hamilton's population has definitely grown. Our city has become larger and larger in terms of population. Many people have come from the GTA. We know that because our housing prices are rather ridiculous. Uh, Thanks to those deep-pocketed GTA buyers who have said, hey, I I can sell my million-dollar home and get something for half a million, 600,000 in Hamilton. Yeah, where do I sign up for that? And so now the average price of a home is nearing, uh, or actually now over a million dollars when you incorporate uh, Hamilton Burlington in the same boat. But at the end of the day, more and more people are flocking to Hamilton, and it's being borne out through stats from Statistics Canada. And not only is Hamilton's population growing, but most of that new growth is in the downtown core. Bit of an eyebrow raiser, at least to me. Let's ask our next guest, who's more of an expert in this type of thing. Bruce Newbold is a professor of geography and director at the School of Earth, Environment, and Society at McMaster University and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Rick. Uh, I'm kind of surprised that most of the growth is in the downtown. Is that surprising to you as well? It is a little bit because we often think that people are going to live in more suburban places edge of the city where housing prices are a little bit uh, less expensive. Uh, So it is really interesting to see that downtown growth, but I think it also reflects the increasing livability and desirability for being downtown. Did we expect the growth to be this high? It's now the fifth densest downtown in Canada. Yeah, I think that was really uh, an interesting result of the most recent census. It was something that surprised me a little bit, just how much that downtown area has grown over the past five years. So are there reasons for this? Was it just because the uh, uh, the housing, at least at the time when the study was conducted, w- uh, back in 2016, was it um, the affordable housing aspect in comparison to places like Burlington and the GTA? That's certainly part of the puzzle. We have seen some lower housing prices in Hamilton, at least historically, compared to parts of Toronto and downtown Toronto. Uh, the other thing that has helped to drive it is uh, the pandemic. And so we saw a lot of movement out of Toronto and into some of the uh, outlying cities around Toronto, including Hamilton. Um, And then the third piece here is immigration, that Hamilton is a major immigrant settlement centre. And so we see a lot of new arrivals coming into Hamilton and settling here. And so why is that? Why is Hamilton doing a good job of accepting immigrants, uh, getting them into the workforce, getting them into housing? What are we doing right here? Well, we've, we've really worked hard to 
to create what you might call like a welcoming uh, community for new arrivals. We help them uh, with employment. Uh, there's a lot of settlement organizations here in Hamilton and the Hamilton Immigrant Partnership Council as well does a great job in terms of trying to coordinate some of those activities. Uh, there's also the connections into Toronto and sort of the broader GTA that make just being here in Hamilton much easier to get to other locations in the area. Bruce Newbold is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Bruce is a professor of geography and director at the School of Earth, Environment and Society at McMaster University. We're chatting about a, a StatsCan data that shows Hamilton's population has grown and most of it has been in the downtown core when uh, we're talking about new immigrants back in uh, 2016 when this data was uh, collected. How does that growth evolve throughout a, a community? Because people might start with uh, an apartment or a condo in downtown, but more often than not, they're looking to go somewhere else in the city. How, do, how does the population evolve uh, through this process? Yeah, so there's certainly a sort of a trickle-down type of effect uh, that we often see that people will start in one location, say the downtown, and then shift uh, outwards as uh, their income increases, as they have changing family situations, maybe their family grows or, or could shrink. Uh, but we see that sort of evolution over time. The downside is that we also see some people that are being pushed out of the city uh, because housing prices are too expensive and they can no longer afford to be here. So they sort of get pushed out of Hamilton and into some of the communities around Hamilton. The uh, StatsCan data shows that uh, the bulk of the population uh, lives within 20 minutes uh, of the downtown. Uh, From a community planning perspective, that certainly has to be taken into account at City Hall, doesn't it? It certainly does. It's something, you know, that just the population growth on its own, as well as the uh, centralization of the growth in the downtown core, we really do need to be thinking about planning and the infrastructure for that. So transportation, uh, but recreation facilities, other community aspects uh, and hubs, community centers that we need to be planning for and making sure that we provide those services for our new populations. Housing prices as they are, there is uh, still a discussion about uh, increasing the housing supply to, you know, make those prices go down. There has been an urban sprawl debate and a heated one over the last uh, few months. Uh, Is this city well positioned to continue to grow? I think we certainly are, that we can be talking about uh, infill and increased density in some of our neighborhoods for sure. Uh, We will still see some growth at sort of the boundaries, Um, but we've got lots of room to continue to expand and grow that population, provide housing for them. Bruce, this was great. Thanks for the time today and uh, thanks for your insight as well. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, Rick. Bruce Newbold is a professor of geography and director at the School of Earth, Environment and Society at McMaster University. Uh, The StatsCan data says um, with 6,939 residents per square kilometer, the downtown core's population density in Hamilton is fifth in Canada. We only trail Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, and Calgary, much bigger cities than Hamilton, that is for sure. And the StatsCan data also shows that our population jumped 6% to 569,000 residents between 2016 and 2021. That's up from 3.2% between 2011 and 2016. So the population is growing, housing uh, prices going up, the supply-demand issue still a thing. Uh, we know that uh, you know some red tape is being cut, um, maybe not as quickly as some would like, but uh, certainly it is tough to get into new housing. And maybe that's another reason why um, new uh, people do this city are looking at the downtown first and foremost. It is still... 
um, the most affordable area of this city. And that's probably a good place to start, too, because of the transportation links, um, whether it's Go Transits, the HSR, um, LRT uh, in the next decade or so. Uh, so downtown, usually the most popular place in terms of new people getting to know a city, and then uh, they'll spread their wings out from there. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Blues and Beyond is a nonprofit organization started by a recent graduate from McMaster University. Its goal is to educate, support, and screen new and expecting parents to promote mental and physical well-being. And what a time to launch a, um, a, a nonprofit group to focus on this. Emily Fazio is the founder and director of Blues and Beyond and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Emily. Good morning. How did this all start? Yes, yeah, so it started by, my mom actually works in the perinatal community and she's worked in it for 17 years. So it was 17 years of me listening to parents struggling and there wasn't really any resources and there was even less that were free. So that's why I really wanted to start something that was accessible for everyone and that really hit those challenges of, making sure everyone's healthy, not only physically, but also mentally after pregnancy and postpartum. What kind of response have you received and what kind of feedback have you gotten? So far, it's been great. I've been loving how many people we can help. And the goal is just getting more and more people to know about it so everyone can benefit from uh, what we do. It's been awesome so far. Uh, we've heard of you know great uh, stories from uh, individuals who have you know struggled through the pandemic, but now are in, mm-hmm. now are in a better place because they have focused on their mental health. They've seeked out that support. Not many people are in that space. They are still struggling, whether it's isolation or depression or yeah. feeling of anxiety. How does a program like this help? What do you guys do? Yeah, so we have three different ways that we can um, offer support. First, we have a support line that's monitored twenty four hours a day, every day, by our perinatal support workers. Uh, the perinatal support workers actually have over a thousand hours of education in all topics, pregnancy and postpartum. So you can call them with questions about anything and they will be able to help you. That helps distress in the moment, gives tips, uh, can just provide support if you want a listening ear. We also have free resources up on our website. Uh, this is coping tips, worksheets, food and sleep logs, educational videos, and so much more that everyone can just check out there for free too. Uh, and then lastly, we have a reach out program where you can sign up and you can have a perinatal support worker check in with you uh, biweekly, monthly, however frequently you would like. Um, they can offer support, guidance. We can refer you to professionals who would like professional help uh, and monitor for red flags and physical and mental health. So how does Blues and Beyond differ from some of the other supports that are out there? Is this just an all-encompassing kind of program? Yeah, so it is kind of all-encompassing. I'd say the two major differences is that we... Our support line isn't staffed with um, just anybody or volunteers. It's staffed with uh, people who actually have an abundance of knowledge and practical experience. Uh, So they are really able to offer the most amount of help. And also it's free and we'd like to keep it that way. And we want everyone to be able to have this support and not have to worry about paying an extra bill when you're already in a time of um, so much money being spent on everything. Mm -hmm. How are you uh, able to make this free? Uh, so we have a bunch of referral partners that we've partnered with, uh, and we're getting some government funding going. Uh, and we're also doing donations through GoFundMe as well. Are we seeing more new and expecting parents um, dealing with issues when it comes to their mental and physical well-being? Is it is it worse now than it was uh, before the pandemic? I'd say it's still hard to research for sure, but I definitely say it, it, it's taken a toll on people because there's no way that... Uh, Social isolation and stress can lead to something good, right? So 
um, I'm sure that there are going to be more problems that arise, which is unfortunate, but hopefully we can all work together and get before it so that we can uh, get rid of it. Emily Fazio is the founder and director of Blues and Beyond. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Blues and Beyond educates, supports, and screens new and expecting parents to promote mental and physical well-being. Um, do you have a story or two that you can share about a success story that, you know, someone has entered the program, they weren't feeling great, but now is in a better space? Uh, it's a bit private, so I don't know if I can share details. But, yeah, we've had people that come in that are just, worried and have anxiety about, for example, like breastfeeding. A lot of people don't know how to do it. Or maybe they were getting shamed for breastfeeding or bottle feeding as a super controversial. Um, So just helping them through it, letting them know there's no wrong answer and do whatever's best for you, reassuring them. And it helps get rid of those little worries that build up. And the anxiety just tends to settle down a little and we can get it under control along with some treatment if, if they need it. Uh, so that would be one of the examples without sharing too much detail. Mm-hmm. And how long would the program last for whether it's a single mom or, you know, a, a couple of individuals who are expecting or just have a new child? Is it a two-week thing? Is it a month-long thing? Is it just as long as they need it? Exactly. It's however long they need it, whether that be one week to reassure them or it's a year. They have no, they never have to stop it. If they just want to keep calling and getting that reassurance and support, they are totally free to. How can parents uh, take parts and get uh, more information if they are interested? Yeah, they can visit our website, which is www.bluesandbeyond.ca, or they can call us at 1-833-340-3344. You can also check them out on Facebook, Blues and Beyond, and uh, same handle on Instagram as well. Emily, uh, congratulations on launching this thing. It sounds like it's making a big impact in our community, and thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you so much for having me. Have That's a great day. It. You too. Emily Fazio is the founder and director of Blues and Beyond. Again, the website, bluesandbeyond, all one word, dot C-A. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Today is a special day. It is International Childhood Cancer Day. And thanks to improvements in therapies and care, the survival rate is now upwards of 80% for some individuals, which is amazing. Our next guest is named Jessica Cruikshank. She's a patient and cancer survivor who went on to finish high school and earned a university degree and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Jessica. Good morning. What does this day mean to you? Um, this day for me, I guess, just signifies um, why I'm here today. Like, honestly, all the research and everything that's gone into um, childhood cancer has provided... Um, me with my life today. So now um, it's nice to know that they celebrate it and all the research and everything that comes about it because the statistics are super low. Tell us about your story. What happened? Um, When I was 17, I um, fainted when I was out with my grandmother and um, I was out shopping. So they uh, actually called an ambulance. And then when I was at my local hospital, I fainted again. Um, So they sort of started taking it a little bit more seriously and took some blood work and it wasn't right. And they um, instantly sent me from my local hospital, which is uh, Norfolk General, to McMaster Children's Hospital, where uh, a couple days later, I think it was within four days, I was diagnosed with cancer. What type of cancer was it? It was um, ALL, so acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Obviously, whenever anyone gets diagnosed with cancer, it is an absolute shock. What was what was going through your mind? 
the honestly, I can still remember it to this day. Um, the first thought in my head was, I'm going to die. Just because I think back then, for me, um, being so young, the thought of cancer and stuff like that for me was always terminal. Um, but I'm very happy to say that that's not the case. And there are many, many, many survival stories, which is so happy. Yeah, that is awesome. Jessica Cruikshank is our guest, patient cancer survivor, went on to finish high school, earned a university degree, and we're chatting with her on this International Childhood Cancer Day. So you're 17, you, you've fainted, you, you've gotten this diagnosis, you're thinking, geez, th- this is it. I've, I've only lived 17 years on this planet. Um, how do you How do you grasp that? How do you understand what's going on? Honestly, I don't really think I did understand what was going on. Um, The biggest thing for me throughout my cancer journey was that I had the most amazing support system. And I think that the positivity that I got and being surrounded by um, such a great group of people, um, including my family, friends, also the doctors and nurses and everybody I got to know um, was a huge part of my healing process and really like changed my aspect of the whole what was the prognosis was it uh, were were you in stage one two and 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 what were the doctors telling you in terms of how you had to combat this um there wasn't necessarily stages for my cancer um i however since i was 17 this is generally a cancer that people get when they're younger so like 10 11 12 maybe even younger than that so i was considered high risk because i was a little bit too old to be getting this cancer so that was a little bit more nerve-wracking i guess you could say um but everyone was super confident and i'm pretty sure the success rate of um beating it is about 70 percent or at least it was 70 percent back when i was going through it so it could have increased by now so take us through the process of treatments and going in and out of hospitals. That must have been stressful. Yeah. So um, right away, like they um, admit you into the hospital and you're there for about a month, at least um, through an induction phase where they just like pump you with chemo and stuff. Um, get rid of all the good and the bad cells in hopes to start powering you back up to create um, healthy cells. Um, so I did that for a month, and then I was able to go home. Um, I did get a bit of an infection in my port, so they you get a surgery to apply a port underneath your skin to give you your medication. Um, that got infected, so I had to go back into the hospital for a round of antibiotics for a couple weeks, and then they took that out. And then it's a two-year um, treatment plan from then. Um, once or twice a week, I was driving to Hamilton. Wow. And uh, so we talked about the day when you got the diagnosis. Uh, let's talk about the day. We only got about about a minute here to talk about when the doctor said, hey, you're cancer free. Honestly, the most amazing day um, at the hospital, they've got a little bell and you ring it and everyone yells hip hip hooray. It's just it's honestly a great experience for anyone who ever is finishing up their treatment. And so what are you doing now? Um, I'm honestly just finishing up school. Um I sometimes work at a pizza restaurant. I, yeah, I'm just finishing up school, looking for forward to the future. You're living life. Jessica, yeah. great story. Thanks for joining us today, and uh, congratulations for beating uh, cancer on this International Childhood Cancer Day. All right. Thank you so much. Jessica Cruikshank joining us, patient cancer survivor, uh, beating cancer, now living 
uh, life uh, to its fullest. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Great news here in the city of Hamilton. Another thing to do, and it comes at a great time as restrictions begin to ease. Hamilton's Winterfest is returning this week. And there's also a concert series that is featuring Apollo Leon, who's going to be one of our guests here, one of the performers at Winterfest. Good morning, Paulo, and good morning to Jeremy Freiberger from Cobalt Connects. Guys, how are you? Morning, Rick. Thanks for having morning. us. Doing good. Well. Hey, Jeremy, maybe we'll start with you. Tell us about Winterfest. What is it all about? Sure. Uh, Hamilton Winterfest uh, has been celebrated in this city for over 40 years. And uh, it started off with a group of, you know, community groups and neighborhoods getting together to do hot chocolate in the park or meet up for tobogganing. And slowly it's grown and the city brought us on a couple of years ago to sort of kick it up a notch. So now there are, you know, there are events across the city from Dundas to Bimbrook. And we program a thing called the Hamilton Winterfest Hub, which is taking over Akmar Mansion up on the mountain that some of you might know at Fennel and West Fifth and doing all sorts of crazy stuff up there. We've got geodesic domes filled with artists and musicians and inflatable icebergs and free hot chocolate and food vendors, all sorts of stuff for people to do for three weekends in a row from February 17th to March 6th. And so at Akmara, I know there's not a lot of parking there. Is there a shuttle service? How are people getting in and out of there? Yeah, we had originally planned for a shuttle service, but uh, COVID restrictions said let's not stuff everybody into a into a bus together. <laughs> so we uh, we rented the parking lot from the St. Joe's Hospital at West Fifth, and then put in a road barricade because there's not even a sidewalk that leads to Akmar, so that everyone can park at St. Joe's and then you just walk up and cross the street right into the front door of Akmar. I passed it this morning. I saw the barricade up and I thought, hey, what's going on here? And that's exactly <laughs> what is happening. Uh, Paulo, it went up yesterday and it's amazing how many people are already using it. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Paulo, you're headlining the uh, Winterfest signature concert. Tell us about uh, this. Yeah, uh, we're, we're going to be doing a medley of songs off the last album, Partly Stabilized, Partly Curious, that released during the pandemic. And, you know, we all know it was, it was stunted, uh, all the shows. So I'm really happy to finally perform some OG, some originals on the Hamilton stage uh, at this three-dimensional festival. It's, it's going to be wicked. Yeah, you got to be jacked to be performing in front of a live audience. Oh, oh. Amen to the moon. I am ecstatic. <laughs> uh, it's, it's definitely needed, and I'm um, happy to see everyone from Hamilton yet again uh, tell, on, on the 19th. Yeah, tell us about your musical uh, exploits. So where did you start? What do you sing about? Yeah, well, uh, I think it's it's all, all my beats and stuff are produced by myself, so everything you're hearing is 100% uh, recorded and, and produced by myself. It's rooted in uh, spoken word um hip-hop stuff and now it's transitioning into a little bit more poppy and and stuff that you can dance to because i'm a dancer i love to dance <laughs> and uh performing that you know i want to see people dance on the dance floor so that's what it's turned into now i'm really excited yeah that's pretty cool jeremy there's a lot of stuff for kids to do as well this is going to be great news for parents and their kids yeah for sure i mean hamilton winterfest has always had a really strong sort of family component so there are I mean, again, across the city, there are free kits from the museums. There's a free pancake breakfast down at the Ava Rothwell Center. There are um, all sorts of online things through the library. But at the Winterfest Hub, uh, we're really big into inflatable public art. And and when I say big icebergs, I mean like 20-foot tall icebergs you can walk through. (laughs) And uh, this year's inflatable is a series of massive Canadian geese that have a tether that kids can grab the tether and help the geese fly along a 50-foot pathway. Uh, so there's all sorts of cool stuff. And then we have performers every weekend outside of the music. We've got 30 different music acts playing over the course of the three weeks. But 
We also have the Woodland Storm Dancers coming in from Sarnia. We have Eris Corp or Contemporary Dance and Clay and Paper Theater who are known for making these like giant puppet characters that are going to be walking throughout the site. So there's tons of stuff for people of all ages to do. And is there a cost to any of this? It's free. All of the um, Winterfest Hub activities are free except the Saturday evening concerts like Paolo's concert. They're 15 bucks. And then a lot of the community events across the city are completely free. Um, and if you're willing, I'd be able to give away a promo code to uh, Paolo's concert for the first 10 people who are listening. Amen. We get a free ticket. <laughs> well, we, we can't coordinate that because that's got to go ah. through a promo department. But hey, listen, if they can contact you personally, you can do so. Do you have an email? Sure. They can fire me an email at info at hamiltonwinterfest.ca. All right. Sounds good. Paulo, congrats on uh, getting back into action and uh, performing in front of a live audience. Good luck with the uh, show. Uh, more details online, Cheers. hamiltonwinterfest.ca. Guys, thanks for joining us, and uh, good luck with uh, Winterfest. Cheers. Thanks for, thanks for having us. Take it easy. You too. Cheers. Jeremy Freiberger, Cobalt Connects, and Paulo Leon, one of the performers at Winterfest, and should be a pretty good show. Again, more details. Winterfest.ca is the website to go to. HamiltonWinterfest.ca. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.